Chapter Twenty Two of Plum Pudding of Diverse Ingredients Discreetly Blended and Seasoned. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Plum Pudding of diverse ingredients discreetly blended and seasoned by christopher morley chapter twenty two a suburban sentimentalist that wild and engaging region known as the salamis estates has surprising enchantments for the wanderer strolling bushrangers if they escape being pelted with lead by the enthusiastic rabbit hunters who bang suddenly among thickets will find many vistas of loveliness all summer long we are imprisoned in foliage locked up in a leafy embrace but when the leaves have shredded away and the solid barriers of green stand revealed as only thin fringes of easily penetrable woodland the eye moves with surprise over these wide reaches of colour and freedom beyond the old ruined farmhouse past the gnarled and rheumatic apple tree is that dimpled path that runs across fields the short cut down to the harbour the stiff frozen plumes of ghostly goldenrod stand up pale and powdery along the way how many tints of brown and fawn and buff in the withered grasses some as feathery and translucent as a gauze scarf as nebulous as those veilings robin herrick was so fond of his mention of them gives an odd connotation to a modern reader so looks anthea when in bed she lies or came or half betrayed by tiffany's our fields now have the rich tawny colour of a panther's hide along the little path are scattered sumac leaves dark scarlet it is as though summer had been wounded by the hunter jack frost and had crept away down that secret track leaving a trail of bloodstains behind her this tract of placid and enchanted woodland field brake glen and coppice has always seemed to us so amazingly like the magical forest of arden that we believe shakespeare must have written as you like it somewhere near here one visitor who was here when the woods were whispering blackly in autumn moonlight thought them akin to george meredith's the woods of westermain enter these enchanted woods you who dare nothing harms beneath the leaves more than waves a swimmer cleaves toss your heart up with the lark foot at peace with mouse and worm fare you fare only at a dread of dark quaver and they quit their form thousand eyeballs under hoods have you by the hair enter these enchanted woods you who dare but in winter and in such a noonday of clear sunshine as the present when all the naked grace of trunks and hillsides lies open to eyeshot the woodland has less of that secrecy and brooding horror that meredith found in westermain it has the very breath of that golden-bathed magic that moved in shakespeare's 
tenderest haunt of comedy. Momently, looking out toward the gray ruin on the hill, which was once, most likely, the very, quote, sheepcoat fenced about with olive trees, end quote, where Aliena dwelt, and Ganymede found hose and doublet, give such pleasing freedom to her limbs and her wit. One expects to hear the merry note of a horn. The moralizing duke would come striding thoughtfully through the thicket, down by the tiny pool, or shall we call it a mirror? He would sit under those two knotty old oaks, and begin to pluck the burrs from his jerkin. Then would come his cheerful tanned followers, carrying the dappled burgher they had ambushed. And last, the pensive Jacques, so very like Mr. Joseph Pennell, in bearing and humor, distilling his meridian melancholy into pentameter paragraphs, like any columnist. A bonfire is quickly kindled, and the hiss and fume of venison collops whiff to us across the blue air. Against that stump, is it a real stump, or only a painted canvas affair from the property man's warehouse? Surely that is a demijohn of cider, and we can hear presently that most piercingly tremulous of all songs, rising in rich chorus, with the plentitude of pathos that masculines best compass after a full meal. Blow, blow, thou winter wind, thou art not so unkind as man's ingratitude. We hum the air over to ourselves, and are stricken with most perfect iridescent sorrow. We even ransack our memory to try to think of someone who has been ungrateful to us, so that we can throw a little vigorous bitterness into our tone. Yes, the sunshine that gilds our salamis thickets seems to us to have very much the amber glow of footlights. In another part of this, our forest, it is so truly a forest in the Shakespearean sense, as all Long Island forests are. An example, Forest Hills, where even the lioness and the green and gilded snake have their suburban analogues, which we will not be laborious to explain. We see time standing still, while Ganymede and Aliena are out foraging with the burly touchstone, so very like that well-loved sage, Mr. Don Marquis, we protest. And, to consider, what a place for a columnist was the forest of Arden. See how zealous contributors hung their poems round on trees, so that he could not miss them? Is it not all the very core and heartbeat of what we call romance, that endearing convention that submits the harsh realities and interruptions of life to a golden purge of fancy? How, we sometimes wonder, can anyone grow old as long as he can still read, as you like it, and feel the magic of that best-loved and most magical of stage directions, the Forest of Arden? And now... While we are still in the soft Shakespearean mood, comes Twelfth Night, traditionally devoted to dismantling the Christmas tree. And indeed, there is no task so replete with luxurious and gentle melancholy. For by that time, the toys, which erst were so splendid, are battered and bashed. The cornucopia is empty of candy, save one or two striped, sticky shards of peppermint, which elude the thrusting index and will be found again next December. The dining-room floor is thick with fallen needles. The gay little candles are burnt down to a small gutter of wax in the tin holders. 
the floor sparkles here and there with the fragments of tinsel balls or popcorn chains that were injudiciously hung within leap of puppy or grasp of urchin and so you see him the diligent parent brooding with a tender mournfulness and sniffing the faint whiff of that fine christmas tree odor balsam and burning candles and fist-warmed peppermint as he undresses the prickly boughs here they go into the boxes red green and golden balls tinkling glass bells stars paper angels cotton-wool santa claus bluebirds celluloid goldfish mosquito netting counterfeit stockings nickel-plated horns and all the comical accumulation of oddities that gathers from year to year in the box labelled christmas tree things fragile the box goes up to the attic and the parent blows a faint diminuendo achingly prolonged on a toy horn titania is almost reduced to tears as he explains it is the hello of santa claus fading away into the distance End of chapter twenty two recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida